Thanks for joining us. I'm Stephanie Whiting, VP of Marketing at iMethods. And today I'm happy to welcome James Case, who's the Chief Information Security Officer at Baptist Health in Jacksonville, Florida. James has um, been the VP and CISO at Baptist since 2021. And in that role, he runs cybersecurity programs for the entire enterprise, emphasizing um, the protection of patient and caregivers, um, security and safety. So with more than 30 years experience in IT, both in healthcare and the financial sectors, he brings a breadth and depth of experience to this topic from lots of perspectives. He is one of Becker's hospital and health system CISOs to know and was elected to Chimes Board of Directors in Healthcare Information Security last year. James, we are so happy to have you join us today. Um, as you know, Baptist is a longstanding client by methods. I think we've worked together for something like 15 years. Long time. Yeah. And your role is so key to protecting patient provider safety, privacy in its totality. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today to learn more about what you're doing over there at Baptist. Sounds awesome. Thank you. Great. So as you have, as we've discussed leading up to the podcast, it's really about bringing people together to share best practices in healthcare IT. So one of the biggest areas, as you know, that keeps health system executives awake at night is the growing threat of cybersecurity attacks, impacting infrastructure, patient data, patient safety, uh, among other things. So to kick off our discussion today and provide a little bit of a foundation, what are you seeing as the latest cybersecurity trends in the healthcare space? Yeah, great question. I mean, this is certainly something that I think we could answer that you know, question for about an hour and have like 20 different angles to go through. But I mean, the first thing that comes to mind just off the top of my head would be the drastic rise in healthcare attacks, right? I mean, I think like we all see on the news, whether it be TV headlines or news headlines or, you know, like web headlines, almost every day, at least once a week, about a hospital being taken offline from ransomware. Um, so just that drastic rise in that attack really is a huge change that's you know been happening. You know, other examples of drastic changes would be lawsuits. I, I've seen now more headlines about hospitals being you know class action lawsuits after a breach. Heck, even during the breach is really starting to happen. AI, um, that just I mean that's a whole topic. You know, if you want to come back to that later, you know, I'm, I'm really just kind of hitting the highlights of ideas that come to mind. Then we can deep dive into these topics. Sure. Well, I mean, it is it is just so over. It's so encompassing, right? It includes so many different ways of of attacking, whether it's through an infrastructure or ransomware or you know yeah. um, stealing patient data, what have you. And and it just puts the hospitals in such uh, peril in so many ways. So. As part of that, and, and really there's only so much a health system can do, um, they can plan for it. So what recommendations do you have to kind of share with our listeners about how they can plan for various types of attacks? Yeah, I mean, there's our, again, there's a bunch of ways, but I think the first answer that comes to mind would be tabletop exercise, practicing, right? Pulling people in a room, having having the conversations about the risk and, and stepping through your, your response plan is critical um, because... You know, all the folks in the room need to learn and practice. Uh, again, the goal is when when the attack does you know occur, because I, it will happen eventually, that the better prepared we are, the faster we can respond and the more we can minimize the damage is really the point. So those tabletop exercises are really opportunities to learn the process. And really, you know, think about it. When, when an attack does occur, we can't open the Word document, flip to page 18 and say, what's the process, right? So... I always kick off every tabletop with kind of the goals are, 
look, we're going to go through you know, a certain scenario today and, and we're going to learn from it. But really keep in mind that part of the purpose of our investment in time today, you know, today as a team is to learn and practice and really get to know each other and get to know this process so we can respond faster. Again, it's about minimizing the impact when it does occur. So I think that's kind of the biggest thing that comes to mind. And maybe another shift would be, you know, shifting from really the traditional prevention, right? If you go back in time a few years, all the time and money and resources were focused on preventing attacks. And so really uh, there's been a, a big shift in, and of course we have to focus on that, but a big shift in also adding resources and time and focus to detecting and responding to attacks, right? So I think that's another key part of how we really prepare, you know, for such an attack. Well, there was one that that comes to mind recently. I I won't say the name of the health system, but their EMR wasn't attacked, but all their other devices were. So, and it was a ransomware attack. So there are so many flavors of this, right? And when you're doing these preparations and these exercises, how do you address the I mean, I know you have to include a lot of operational people. It's not just clinical. It's not just technical. How do doctors continue to see patients or administer chemotherapy if the scheduling system is down? Or, you know, have they all forgotten how to use paper? I mean, those types of things. So how much operational engagement and clinical engagement do you have in your tabletop exercises? It's a good question. So we definitely have a fair amount of, 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 you know, like nurses involved in, in nursing leadership to really talk through. And I think the key point of that would be downtime procedures. Mm-hmm. Right. How, how prepared is every department for going offline and not and not having any computer for an hour, a day, a week, two weeks? And what are their downtime procedures? How often do they practice them? Are they prepared? Do they have the forms, you know, the latest forms ready to go printed or the ability to print it? Um, and then to your point, the phrase that's, that's getting kind of, I mean, not funny, but like going back to paper is becoming there's so many younger caregivers now that aren't that have never used paper. So the whole concept of going back to paper doesn't exist. In fact, I even heard someone say during an event, you know, look for somebody in their 40s, you know, or something, and, and they'll help you. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's true. It's the reality we're in. And right. Um, anyways, yeah. Yeah. No. That and that's a great example. So if you've never experienced it, how can you possibly be prepared to manage it? Right. It's just, it's just not their life experience. Any anyone below forty, I would say you might be pushing fifty if that if that threshold anymore. That's true. Right. Um, so, what other resources and preparations would you recommend? And I think you and I talked a little bit at one point about your engagement with DHS, CISA, and and how they have yep. um, a lot of resources available. I think that that's something we want to convey to our listeners because it's such a great resource to have at your disposal that maybe some don't know about and aren't taking advantage of. Yeah, there are really two that come to mind. I mean, there are many, but the, the top two that come to mind would be CISA, as you just said. They they have, in the past year or two, really published a lot of good information around best practices, things to do, things not to do, but also they offer free services. I mean, so I think those are two key points tied to CISA that are really trying to help every single health system, every single company, right? They're not just healthcare, they're, they're every sector. And so mm-hmm. they'll do free penetration tests. They'll do free vulnerability scanning. I mean, there are several parts of a security program where you could save money and allow CISA to help do that for you. So I, th- I think that's one way. Uh, and then 405D Hiccup is another healthcare focused free set of resources around uh, best practice controls that, that you should really have in place. And it's great because 
it was it's designed in such a way that there's you know kind of small, medium, and large health system. So it gives you kind of a starting point versus you know one mm-hmm. size fits all. Uh, as well as training materials. Recently, uh, I think two months ago, published a set of really you know, high quality training, uh, even videos of, of a physician speaking and, and really talking about the risks of ransomware. So that's great when when an actual caregiver and not just a nerd, you know, you know, gets on a screen and really shares their perspectives and risks and thoughts and whatnot. I love that. So those are those are great, like really solid takeaways for for our mm-hmm. audience because um and we may even plug that into to this when we post it yeah is there a way to put a link in like somewhere in yeah the, okay. we can do a link in, in a social post because i do think that people are aware of it but they don't really know how to leverage it and how do you get it and the fact that you know so many health systems are are financially challenged at this point in time that free is always good certainly if it's trustworthy and it sounds like both of those are great resources it's hey, hey, so back on 405D, a plug for that is uh, there's a health sector coordinating council, and I'm actually part of that. Oh, okay. And so I volunteer part of my time to help on those pieces that are related to the 405D. So okay. I could also include a link in there on how to get involved in that, how to contribute. Um, they're, they're always looking for volunteers to give input, to, you know, to review documents, to have input, to drive you know, progress in this area. Yeah. Well, it's always about keeping up with the bad actors, right? They're always ahead of us. So exactly. it's it's about, you know, learning from each other to, to stay ahead of it as best we can. Yep. Um, so we talked a lot about preparation. What about responding to an attack? How do you do um, your management of an issue when it happens? And, and are they different based on the type of attack you're experiencing? Yeah, good question. You know, I think it really kind of partly answered by the you know, previous question around how to really plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, it certainly relates to planning, like how do you respond? Um, so not only, so again, so I'll just kind of recap, not only doing, you know, doing tabletops for walking through your whole response plan, but then it gets into uh, red team, blue team and, and like penetration tests and involve a red team and a blue team really competing. And, you know, I just did this. I just attacked you in this way. Did you see it? And then learning from that, either confirming what you did see or you stopped or you had, you know, kind of found or that you didn't see, and then you can learn from and, and then, you know, tweak your tools to really find it. So I think that's an important way to really uh, help. I, and I guess that's more about preparing, sorry. Well, no, but I think it's it's fair because, you know, yeah. preparation's the best way to, to be ready for yeah. a response. But, you know, there are cases, and you, and you hear about these in the news, that sometimes organizations, and this includes every sector, not just healthcare, mm-hmm. aren't even aware it's happened. That's true. Or, a period of time. And then there, they have all this exposure into your earlier comments about lawsuits and, yep. and all these other things. I mean, healthcare in particular with HIPAA and privacy and, and all the, they can only do so much to notify the public that, that a breach has happened. But how do you address it? I, you know, have talked with some health systems where you, you inevitably get the FBI involved. You try to find out who's done it, who the, yep. who, who's invaded your space as it were. But I don't know what the like success rate actually is on solving those cases because they're not often U.S. based. Right. That's your point. I mean, it makes me think about right the average dwell time or whatever that an attacker's in in an environment is measured in weeks normally. Right. Even longer sometimes. And so I get. I, I think to your point as far as how to respond and how to prepare to respond, it's about what playbooks and what tools and processes do we all have in place to detect. And then mm-hmm. respond. And so I think one technology that's really getting popular is network detection and response. And that is something we've rolled out in the past year that really allows us to kind of threat hunt in our environment. So we have dedicated resources that do nothing but look on the network 
and look for attacks and, and look for bad activity and really suspicious activity. So we're investing in that, you know, time and people and resources and also technology in that because that's kind of what we have to do now to really adapt to this, you know, changing threat landscape. Sure. Well, you'd mentioned AI earlier. So I think AI is probably in yeah. this re- in this regard a curse in the sense that it makes the, you know, the the threats increase potentially in terms of scope and scale, but it also could be used as a tool for doing that threat yep. assessment and, and identification. So if, is that something that, that you're leveraging yet? Good question. I, just let me back up on AI. I would say like every piece of technology, right? I, the, you know, the smartphone, the computer, the internet, I mean, those are pretty broad examples, but mm-hmm. the concept is with every piece of technology, I mean, it's pretty obvious there's always a positive, a plus, and then a negative and a, you know, consequence, right? It's always a double-edged sword. And so AI obviously is just the next, the, the next example of that, right? So, I mean, there's so many powerful things it's already starting to help with and can help with, but at the same time, you know, the attackers are using it now. So the barrier to entry for a bad guy or bad girl or, you know, an attacker or fraudster to get into the bad space is getting lower and lower. And AI only helps that, right? So now they, now high quality phishing emails and attacks can be developed easily through the use of AI. And so that's a, an example of how all the positives it's going to bring and can bring, you know, just kind of keeps everyone up and I, especially me around. And at the same time, it's being used for all nefarious things and how, you know, and really to hurt people. So it's very frustrating, but all we can do is prepare. I mean, I mean going back to your previous you know, question, and then look at the different risks and, and make sure we're, that we know what we know. And there's still plenty with AI that we don't know, right? That we're learning. Correct. Well, and it seems like, and again, I'm no AI, AI expert, but it does seem like it does have potential to help you do your job. That's true. You know, right? Scraping the system, looking for, yep. for inconsistencies or challenges or anything like that. So it's, it, it is a blessing and a curse in many respects, but it, it does um, it does change the, the landscape a bit and changes the game. It does. Yeah. You, uh, so use AI to fight against AI, right? I mean, that's kind of... Right. Well, and then there we are, Skynet. We've hit it. It's Terminator. Correct. No. <laughs> I mean, 100%. We've seen these movies. We know how they go. Right. So a lot of the, or some of the, the challenges that I've read about in the news with health systems often involve um, someone unwittingly and unknowingly being a bit careless with their personal device, their home, they're off a VPN, they're outside of the safe space, and and someone sneaks in through there. So what do you work with your teams to uh, leverage in terms of best practices around lowering risk in both their professional lives and, and how it affects the health system, but also in their personal lives, because we're all at risk for financial fraud and identity theft and all these other things that mm-hmm. really fall in the same realm of cybersecurity. Right. So good. So, so good question. I think part of it is when we, when my team and I share kind of best practices or like security awareness, I always try as often as possible. I can't do it every time, but to tie it back to home, right? So if we can talk about and make it personal, right? So if we can educate on best practice or on passwords or turning on alerting on your banking or just not clicking on things, right? The whole education around if you're not expecting it and it's not normal to receive, why would you click on it? Mm-hmm. Right. You're just asking, like you're just inviting the issue. And so, you know, really raising awareness, educating, keeping it front and center on the mind. And then again, tying it back to home. So I frequently talk about, Hey, you know, at home, you know, be sure to, 
not open, you know, don't click on links and don't do this and, and, and do that and, and keep your machines up to date on patches, right? So all those best practices and advice, I frequently try to tie it back to home and sort of in hopes that, that everybody will bring that, that kind of cyber paranoia, if you mm-hmm. will, to work. Right? Yeah. So what I've noticed, and this is personal on, on my phone, I'm seeing a lot of phishing text messages, which is sort of feeling like a new thing. It used to be mostly email. So what is, yeah. if anything, is, the, is there a difference in the level of risk? It may depend on the device, but, you know, Apple seems to consider itself pretty leading edge in terms of being pretty secure as devices. But I feel like, you know, sure. that, that just seems to be a new, a new experience for those consumers of us who are like, hey, I did not order that thing and I'm not clicking on that text message. Is the risk the same? Can they still get in? Yeah. And I even see that. So I see this all the time and there's always a risk. So what I educate people on is, again, sort of like the the phishing. Don't trust it. Right. Right. So if you didn't if you didn't order something, don't trust it. Um, I mean, so there's a scam. It's called boss scam is one that's going around that a lot of my friends have talked about, you know, where it's a fake text from from your CEO. It says, hi, this is, you know, Bob Smith. I'm your CEO. Mm-hmm. And if you if you respond and go back and forth, it normally results in them trying to get you to buy gift cards. I actually had that happen. Okay. I was at I was at iMethods for two weeks and I got a quote unquote text from my CEO and it was not my CEO. Right. But I'm like, I'm on vacation. I am not buying you gift cards today. Right. Sorry. But that's yep. that's common. I've heard a lot of people have that. Yes. One. But just texting in general, yes. I've seen many texts, you know, where, oh, click, you know, go here to verify this or or just any of them, and I, I really can't think of any concrete examples, but at the end of the day, frequently what I'll do is, is I'll screenshot it and I'll send it to my family, like my extended family and say, PSA. Nice. Here's an example of, of a phishing text I just got. Be very scared of things like this. And I, I try to do that every couple of months. So. Yeah. I mean, that's great. We should all adopt those practices if we're informed. We have sort of a moral responsibility right. to keep our family safe and, and friends from getting too, uh, too wrapped up or caught up in, in a phishing expedition. Um, so we talked about, uh, the CISA and, and the other tools, um, in terms mm-hmm. of assessing and planning, and we talked about responding. Are there any other ideas or, or recommendations you would have for our audience in terms of, of how to better protect the health system where they work or their own personal technology domain? So, so in the hospital at work or at home? Because I, I, I have thoughts for both. So, so which one do you want to talk about first? Yeah, um, let's start with the hospital. Yeah, I mean, I mean, where do you start, right? That's the top 10. That's um, making sure that your security program is part of enterprise risk management, right? Taking, you know, making sure that whoever is driving security, regardless of their title, that they have the support they need, mm-hmm. right? And that you are regularly assessing risk and that you're regularly prioritizing, raising those risks and getting the right visibility. And you can't solve every risk, right? So even in my most recent you know, board presentation, uh, my CEO and my boss and I, all three of us said to the board, we're not going to solve every risk. It's impossible. Even if you give us 10 times more money, mm-hmm. all we can do is prioritize and, and, and raise up the ones that we think are the highest risk and try to get those funded and try to get those done. So at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to at work. And maybe at home, obviously, it's a baby version of that. But it's be paranoid. Don't click on links. You know, even if I get an email, even if I ordered a package, and then I get an email four hours later from my UPS, 
I will rarely click on it. Yeah. Well, and and the reason I ask about home is because we, we all, many of us work remotely, right? So our home and our work lives intersect and, and our technologies often intersect as well. I have my cell phone is the same phone I use for my work number. Yeah, good point. So, you know, there's, there's a risk that my personal behavior could impact my organization if I clicked on something in my company email address or something like that. So mm-hmm. there is that sort of cross point where those worlds intersect and, you know, one, one increases the risk for the other. If we, if we have time to go back to a previous topic, I'd love to spend a few more minutes on the changing threat landscape. Absolutely. I mean, I could spend an hour on that, but one, like no, you know, one thing that came to mind that I didn't get to is um, how critical vulnerabilities are getting more and more common in zero days. And a zero day is really just a, a like vulnerability that doesn't have a patch yet. Right, right. Right. And so frequently vendors will try to keep it quiet and not, and not bring it up, even though they know about it and they're working on a patch. So it doesn't really get out and to reduce the chance of somebody trying to exploit it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it happens, right? Bad guys find out and they exploit it even before a patch is available. So, I mean, just the, the, the drastic increase in the number of Microsoft and other tools that are having you know, new vulnerabilities and really critical vulnerabilities coming out. And then we all have to respond and react quickly. I mean, it's a race at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've even seen some breaches recently where, you know, the patch is available on one day and like the day before they were breached. So what do you do? We can't do anything. Right. Nothing. I mean, so, you know, but, but I guess my point is it's a race. Like, like the game is on as soon as it's announced. Yeah. And that takes time and resources. So we have to pull people off other projects and other things to make sure that we're, that we're focusing on that. And that's, it's frustrating because there's never enough time or people to, to cover everything, but all, you know, we do what we can. And did you hear about the recent example with a with a product called Move It? No, it's been in the news a lot. I don't think I have. So Move It is a like a secure FTP, like a file transfer protocol mm-hmm. software that a lot of companies use. This one vulnerability, and it was critical. It was a zero day, has now resulted in like as of last week, over six hundred different companies being breached. Wow! So that one piece of software, right, being used by I don't know thousands of clients, I'm sure. sure. And 600 are already known and identified within like a month. Well, and think about all the tools we use, all the places that we have accounts set up that, you know, every one of those increases our vulnerability by some factor, depending on how. Yep. So very frustrating. Very, I mean, it's almost like, why do we try? Let's just give up. Let's just put all our information on the internet and give (laughs) up, right? As as one option. I'm not going to do it, but it's just like, it's so frustrating. And so again, it's about... All we can do is prioritize. I just try to bring myself back to that center. All I can do is prioritize and raise the risks. And, um, and that's all we can do. Yeah. Well, especially to your point earlier is if the, the patch comes out the day after the breach happens, then, I mean, it puts right. a lot of pressure on those vendors, the Microsofts, the Apples, et cetera, of the world to, yeah. to be ahead of the game. And you just, we can't imagine all the ways people can come up with nefarious ways to cause harm and damage for really no, no good game. It, it does change. Sure. Mm-hmm. And it changes every day. Yeah. Well, um, any closing thoughts for us? This has been a really great conversation. Very enlightening. Certainly appreciate you joining us. Uh, closing thoughts. That's a good question. I, I don't have anything like on the tip of my mind, but again, I just think what, what everyone at work is probably tired of hearing me say, it always comes down to the risk, right? I only have a job because of the risk. If the risk was not high enough, they wouldn't have a CISO about this help, right? So the risks are very high. So the energy and the resources being spent to try to manage those risks 
are, are trying to keep up, right? So I would say my only parting advice would be both at home and at work, making you know, making sure that you're paranoid enough. Cyber, you know, really cyber paranoia is a phrase that I came up with a few years ago. Are you cyber paranoid enough? I like that. Yeah. And it's yeah. and it's very appropriate, honestly. And and it's only <laughs> with the advent of AI and and you know, more and more of this happening, it it is more it's increasingly appropriate as a as a way of looking at this. Right. So um yeah, I mean, but it's great resources, and I appreciate you sharing the the CISA and the the reference to that other company. We'll definitely get those links from you and push those out when cool. we post this. I think um, our audience will greatly appreciate having the opportunity to benefit from others' experience and, and engage with that organization, like you said, to to share challenges yeah. and what did you see, what did you see, because none of them are going to have exactly the same experience. Exactly. Yeah, cool. Well, listen, James, thank you so much again for joining us. This was um, just a terrific conversation and very enlightening um, to our audience. Thank you for joining us. We'll thank look you. forward to fun. Thanks again. Thank you. And we'll look forward to having our audience back on the next um, edition of Connecting Healthcare IT. Have a good day.